people don't just want to belong. They want to contribute. And I always tell people contributing is the perfection of belonging because belonging makes people feel welcome, but contributing makes them say, yes, we're all a part of this, this mission, this team, this whatever it is. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization. I am Mike Gomer Gormley, and I'm joined, as always, by Dave Homefool Van Vickle. How you doing, Ho- Dave? Home? What was that? Homefool. Homefool. Instead of homeschool, right. you're you're the homefool. Oh, oh. Okay. How's it going? Yeah, it's going well. Are you rejoicing in home? Are you rejoicing in your introverted? <laughs> that the whole world is conforming to your introversion? <laughs> yes. Let's never go back. Let's just wear masks the rest of our life. <laughs> No touching. <laughs> oh man, just days. Of- You're in the grocery store. You're covered head to toe. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I love it. I love it. I and I hate it. I can't. I, imagine. It's not that I hate the masks. I don't mind the masks, but it's the it's and I don't mind the social distancing. In fact, I don't like hugging, and this is wonderful <laughs> that I don't have to hug all the men of my ex community. It's been very uh, beautiful, <laughs> but uh, our our church is a very huggy church, and so um, as many Southern parishes are. Um, but yeah, it has been, it has been a trip, man. A lot of anxiety that is going unaddressed and really unrealized. And, uh, so I, I'm, I'm happy that if this podcast can help some people out there, uh, that we can do what we can in order to really, uh, really swing for the fences on this one. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I just feel, I feel bad about the economy. You know what I mean? It's just like, this is, oh, this yeah. is like ir- ir- irreparable, you know? So it's just, we need to get back. Did you there. see? Did you see the uh, the article in Catholic News Agency that JD Flynn wrote about how we're going to watch the bankruptcies, like kind of domino effect of parish to bank uh, diocese bankruptcies? Yeah, and, and I, all this stuff. Yeah, and I and I read. I wasn't sure. I can't remember where I read this, but they're estimating thirty seven percent of Catholic employees won't be hired back, and that even if they are hired back this we're just in such a terrible financial situation yeah uh, so yeah. it exposed a problem that probably needed to be exposed you know so what would you say that that maybe we keep employees around that yeah financially we shouldn't or yeah how do you feel let me just throw this one objection and then we'll get into the multiple topics for today's show yeah how do you feel about people in the church world who have never worked in a parish but they'll the first go-to phrase is well we're not a business the church should be different you know, when it comes to laying off or doing, um, you know, cutting. No, I mean, because I we of, both I, occupy I kind of leadership positions. Yeah, but I kind of yeah. agree with what they're saying. I think my my right, issue right, right. is not that we're not being run like a business. My issue is that bureaucracy breeds bureaucracy, you know, and, and yeah. it's just so fat. It's so quick that you can get away from what the church is supposed to do. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I think it. I certainly could see that this could be awful and a curse, but I could also see this being a blessing that God is guiding the church to do only the most essential roles. My hope is that the leadership would recognize those solely essential roles and, and keep those around, you know? 
Yeah. So, I don't know. Yeah. And speaking about essential roles, we have a whole bunch of questions yeah. um, that y'all have written in to us. We're going to try to keep this show a little bit tighter because uh, <laughs> my daughter has a Zoom call to do class <laughs> in 30 minutes. So, we got to get what done in 25. Right? I know. Right. This is this is our world. This is our world. Yeah. All right. Cool. So, let's jump into this. So, we got uh, an email from Joseph, probably an email that probably almost a lot of our listeners could have, could have written. Right. And he's a parent with a toddler, another on the way. Congratulations. They've been, he and his wife have been talking about teaching the faith to their kids and it's, it's a daunting task. And, and I, I, I've become aware of how daunting it is in the last two years, especially. Um, but you know, he wants to make sure that his faith is, he's not teaching a faith that's compartmentalized just done on Sundays. You know, how, how do we have any thoughts on that? And, um, I think it's important to understand that it is a daunting task. And, and I, and if anyone tells you it's not, uh, they're wrong. Um, you know, Cher Waddell, um, uh, the, the, the famous, um, brilliant mind of evangelism or discipleship, right. She presented some research. Um, I don't know, maybe a year ago. I don't know if you saw this Gomer about super Christian families, super evangelical families, not weird Christian, not we like just very good, faithful families, um, and seeing that their, their children do not have faith when they grow older, you know? So a lot of, oh oh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It it, it stirred up a lot of things in me. And, um, and you know, a lot of people will point to that, um, that Baptist study where they say, if the father is practicing the faith, then your child is 99% more likely or something like that. But, um, (laughs) it really is not that cut and dry, you know, it's hard because we are raising, children now in a world that is, you know, it's, it's anti what everything you want to do. And so it's, it's very difficult. So, uh, here's a, here's a few things I would say, be, be cautious about, uh, preaching. Like you have to really, like he asks, is there too much prayer for kids? And I think that absolutely there is a hundred percent. Oh yeah. Like there, there are families that, you know, it's like a, you know, they're like in boot camp, Right. And, the problem is with that is you really have to balance that out with faith, like personal faith. So, um, cause mm-hmm. you don't want the kid to get into this idea like, well, this is just something I have to do, you know, uh, to, to make my parents happy. Now, are there going to be times like that? Oh yeah. There's definitely times when at our family rosary, I am literally like yelling at the kids thinking, okay, they're all going to talk to their psychologist about this when they get older, you know? Yeah. Um, but you know, <laughs> like teaching them to pray, and most of all, I think giving your own testimony to them is like so important because, you know, they have to know that it changes their change your life. What do you think, Homer? Yeah, I think one of the one of the big tools that we can do over much is like I, I know a couple Christian families who will punish their kids with prayer and, you know, go read the Bible. Right. And we have to understand that there is a distinction between moral formation, spiritual formation that yes, ultimately they all overlap within the human person. But um, like I, I noticed this in our homeschooling curriculums that we get, we do a classical model. So my kids are learning Latin and stuff like that. Um, but often what happens is there is this, this tendency to re- to make everything about Jesus. Like their math textbook is called rod and staff, you know, like you're from Psalm 23, right, rod and your right, staff, right. give me courage. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's a bit much. <laughs> so, the fear is that you that you ghettoize their education, right? That you ghettoize their education so that when they enter into the real world, 
you have so um, you have removed all obst- you've removed all challenges to their faith that when it, they come at it, like when I, I remember when this one um, particularly sheltered girl read the Epic of Gilgamesh, which has huge overlaps with the creation story and especially Noah, she literally screamed in class, like, how can this be true? How can this be a story? How, uh, the Bible's true. Only the Bible. Right. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, so the, there's this element where I think we, um, it's one of those things, I would say, grace and nature that's always in the balance. Grace doesn't replace nature. It builds upon nature. So as a parent, your duty is to shape their nature just as much as it is the grace side of the equation. And um, and what I mean by that, like sometimes people have deep-seated emotional or psychological problems, history, abuse, baggage, neglect, whatever we call it, and they try to treat it with just prayer. Right. <clears throat> and that can go very far, but then it becomes where we spiritualize our problems away. Right. Like, for instance, when I had a married couple who say, well, we're just going to live a Josephite marriage. <laughs> Um, and I was like, wait, 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 you, th- you don't trust him with, you know, the physical intimate side of your relationship. So you've spiritualized the problem away by saying, well, we're just going to love each other chastely. And I was like, that is the dumbest thing I have ever heard. Right. And, and it allowed them this, the false spirituality. Of, that's why we need guides. That's why we need directors and people to bounce ideas off because sometimes it sounds so deeply holy, but is totally off the mark. And so, um, you know, part of this with our kids, like I, I make sure my kids know the prayers of the church. Like Katiri's sitting over here doing her work right now. If I were to say pray in our, (laughs) she's actually doing faith formation right now. (laughs) If I were to have her do, uh, you know, say our father, hail Mary, glory be, she could have done that since she was three or four years old. Right. You know, she can do all the memorized prayers of the church, the traditional prayers of the church. We expose them to the great patrimony of Catholicism, but also I pray over them. Yeah. I teach them to pray on their own. Like you have to do not just like sometimes I think Catholics they really hit themselves when their kids can't sit still for a rosary or even a decade. And it's okay. Like um the other thing is um when everything is about Catholicism and we don't allow them to pursue interests and hobbies. Because part of our role as lay people is sanctifying the temporal order. Right. And we can't sanctify the temporal order if we're not involved in it ever. Right. And so I love encouraging kids. And uh, this is the last thing I'm going to say. Okay. <laughs> Gosh, I have too much to say. There is an element where the religiosity takes over yep. and we stifle the good rebellion within every human being. The rebellion that's that like you want your kids to be assertive. You want your kids not to be pushovers, Right. The saints weren't pushovers, but they were humble. Right. And that's the dichotomy of virtue that we're trying to build in our kids. I want my kids to be brave in the face of stupidity and authoritarianism. Right? Like there comes a point where but you notice that like there's so much of an emphasis on obedience within Christian homes because they think like I'm raising my kids right, you know, we do all this stuff. And there's so little on freedom for some for a lot of homes. And this might be more a caricature, but I would just want like I was going down that road and I realized like, no, the way that God governs the world is through the creatures that he governs. And that's an even greater victory of God's all powerfulness. Right, right. And so if I'm imitating the father's governance over my family, then the freedom that I give them 
is part of that. So, um, you know, and I saw, talk about that little rebellion. Uh, I, I mean that in a, in a good, non-sinful way. But there is that part where you find, like, there's a study of rich kids and poor kids and how they go to the doctor. And the poor kid will keep his head down and do everything the doctor says, whereas the rich kid is taught to, like, ask questions of the doctor, to even interrupt the doctor. Right. And I'm, I'm afraid that elements of that get pushed to the back burner. And so kids don't feel like I can be me. It's like that whole Elsa thing. I can't really be myself because there's this, well, you got to be. And they just associate it with Christ or Christianity or Catholicism or the church. And when they find freedom as a young adult, they, they define that freedom as the distance I put between me and my religious upbringing. Yeah. I, I think that like you're going to each kid has an has a different personality too so i think so what, what, dramatically what, different. What, what gomer said about teaching them to pray is important because eventually uh they're not going to be able to just fit your mold right now now yeah. you it, he he ends it by saying like do we try to get our entire family to sit down and pray the rosary we do i don't know what gomer does um but but it's hard it's awful at first i mean it is a nightmare <laughs> there's it, it is so awful and when they start leading that it is so much worse it's like yeah you know but you just you know you if you build little disciplines into the life and, and it'll, it'll help a lot. So I hope that helped, uh, Joseph keep, uh, let us know how it goes and, uh, we'll, we'll be in your prayers. Keep us in yours. So we should do, we should definitely do a whole episode I know, on like I know. the stages of a kid. Yeah. I know we should. And yeah, I know. And, we, and we're, we're the experts. <laughs> Our kids are flawless. Yeah. My kid, flawless. who knows? One of them might be an ax murderer. I don't know. My, my daughter just rolled her eyes at me from across the room. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. All right, we got. All right, a, next question, Dave. Yeah, what do we yeah, got? Yeah, this is a good one. Um, we got a. I, I, it's a long email, so I, I won't read all of it. But um, it's from Jennifer, and she's asking about tithing, right? Ooh, um, okay. So she says, uh, she's finding it difficult to figure out how much is. Is there a right amount? What does the church say exactly? Also, in in her situation, being generous to the church, her husband doesn't really agree with that giving much to the church because there's a lack of trust, which I totally, totally understand. Um, what do we recommend and, and, and what's, you know, how, how do you go about like deciding on what you're going to uh, do for the church, right? Give for the church. Okay. Um, Gomer, you want to start out? Yeah. So in the new Testament, there is no one singular place where it says, give this amount. Not even a tithe. The tithe might be presumed, but it's never commanded. Right. And in First Corinthians or Second Corinthians chapter nine, Saint Paul says, uh, "The Lord loves a cheerful giver," and he's saying that because he's asking um, the Corinthian church to donate um, to, I believe, the Jerusalem church. Maybe the Macedonian. No, the Macedonian church was super generous, even though they were really poor. And he said, um, "I'm not saying this to you by way of command." Um, and so, and that's when he said, "For God loves a cheerful giver." Um, but the idea is, if the tithe of 10% was mandatory in the Old Testament, have you received greater or lesser blessings in the New Testament? Therefore, should you show greater or lesser uh, generosity in the New Testament? And so when you start to think about that, you're like, yeah, I should probably be giving more than, what, uh, than a 10%. Now, how does this break down for my legalistic folks or people who just need some governing principles? I tell people you should probably give 5% of your annual income or monthly income or weekly income, however you think about it, 5% of your income to the local church. Um, and that will go to the diocese because the diocese, and you should give it to like the general fund because that's what pays salaries and stuff like that. Um, and then the, the diocese takes a cathedraticum tax on the parish 
Different dioceses have different methods by the way they source that income. And uh, so you are supporting the diocese when you support the general fund of the parish. Above that, if you have a particular voc- uh, ministry or thing that you want to support, you know, go ahead and support that, whether it's at the parish or whatever. Um, I encourage people that if they, uh, if you go to a Catholic church where there's a lot of liturgical abuse by the priest, do not give a single penny. Um, if there's heresy that is taught, do not give a single penny. Um, and let them know that because oftentimes people don't see change until it's tied to purse strings, which is sad. Right. But it just helps people wake up to this stuff. Like, hey, when you said that conscience has supreme authority even over church teaching, that's not true. So I'm not going to, you know, like, don't be a jerk about it. But, like, if it's really, truly off and awful, then don't, then I, I don't understand how anyone could donate to that. But donate to, there are so many other charities with that other five or six or 10% you want to give. There are so many other worthy Catholic charities in the country that could use your thing. I recommend Eden Invitation. Um, beautiful souls reaching out to the LGBT community with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they do so through community. I love them. I donate to them. You know, what do you think? Yeah, so uh, we're similar. I mean, I don't I don't give anything that's unrestricted ever to the institutional church because because um, uh, I feel the same way. I have a hard time trusting, you know, just with all the things with McCarrick and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I, I give to specific things at my parish. And um, I think what you said, 5% is a really good, a good thing. You know, first of all, it's important that people know that it is one of the precepts of the church to provide for the needs of yeah. the church. So you have to do this. And, and of course it's a biblical principle. Um, yeah. I, we, you know, we basically are like our rule. And I don't know if you have this Gomer, but like I get called probably four or five times a month for missionaries asking for money. And I think it's just because yeah. I graduated from Franciscan. So, um, yeah. so what we do is we support one missionary a year. We support one pro-life organization a year. And then mo- uh, the majority of our tithe goes to religious sisters. So that's like, so literally when people like ask me for, for money, then I'm always like, Oh, we only support nuns. <laughs> um, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think, I think that's a good, that's a good thing. Now our family, um, I, I feel very much called to live like in the uh, I don't know how to say this without sounding like an idiot um, or sounding, sounding self-righteous. Right. <laughs> I no I, I don't I want to like we feel I feel very much called to live day by day at the hands of the Lord. Right. So like we try to give sacrificially, like in a major way. So um, yeah. so we want to make sure, you know, that w- if we're blessed, that we really are are blessing others. Now that that's different for a lot of people, and um, you know, with our medical bills and everything like that, we'll never not be at the you know <laughs> dependent <laughs> on God. But at the same time, I think what you should do is you should pray about it. You should see what your lifestyle is like, and you should see because in my my thought is that God should be getting the greatest. Right. He should be getting the most. And um, and obviously that means uh, not like not necessarily not taking care of your family, but it means, you know, things like vacations and cars and stuff like that. Like, what is your lifestyle like, you know, and is is your contribution to the church measuring up, I guess, to that? Because, um, you know, it it is an issue and it's a huge, huge blessing. It'll be a, a very wonderful font of grace in your life when you get that in order get the tithing in order yeah and i also want to point out like if you have certain charisms right so my wife has a beautiful charism of hospitality and hosting 
And so before the quarantine, you know, we were spending a hundred, sure. two hundred dollars a week on hosting people at our house. Sure. And I used to be really uptight about it because I'm like, come on, millennials. Right. Contribute to that. And I realized like, no, in like our home has baby toys, even though we don't have any babies. It has toddler toys, even though we don't have toddlers. My daughter Katiri sitting over here is the baby whisperer, and she loves babies and playing with babies. So we have friends with little kids who, when they come over, the moms can be at peace. The dads can join me in the garage or wherever we go, and we can actually have a wonderful time as the kids play together and all this. And adults can have fellowship, and families as families can have fellowship. I talk to the kids um, as well. You know, I think that's important adults not to entirely segregate themselves off from the kids. And that is a part of our hospitality. Yeah, and it should um, be. You always, yeah, and you should always, here's a funny thing. You should require something of your guests when they come because people don't just want to belong. They want to contribute. And I always tell people contributing is the perfection of belonging because belonging makes people feel welcome, but contributing makes them say, yes, we're all a part of this this mission, this team, this whatever it is. And so with that in mind, I, um, you know, we ask our, you know, guests that are coming over, hey, what can I bring? If you go over to someone's house and you don't ask that question, you're part of the problem. But uh, you just say, hey, what can I bring? And uh, we always give them one item to bring. But we, you know, and it depends. I mean, we have some friends that come over more often than others. And so that, you know, we're all in sync. But um, our, our two families that I'm thinking of right now, we just do the same thing all the time. Um, but really, like, some of you out there are listening to this and you say, okay, I feel uncomfortable with the wider mission of the church and lawsuits and, you know, things running amok and priorities and stuff like that, but I can do something. You know, I, I think of St. Vincent de Paul Society. Not a single penny is spent on bureaucracy. Right. Not a single right. penny. We, they have a phone call or a phone line and a voicemail, and then everything else is run by volunteers. Every penny that goes to that gets distributed directly to the poor. That's yeah. huge. That's yeah. important. So yeah. I think I think something that you said, you know, it brought up like something that's important to me and, and to my family, right? So like you're you're doing hands-on charity. Well, not charity, but you're doing hands-on hospitality. And I think yeah. like keeping a certain amount of what you've decided to give to the Lord for hands-on things is really important too. Like, um, you know, my, my wife, like I literally have to like go through the mail and hide any of the, like the <laughs> direct mail pieces that have like starving children on them because she will, she will literally put us in bankruptcy. Like if, if I'm not careful. And so, <laughs> but like, I want to make sure, like, it's not just that we're paying in an envelope and sending it to someone. Like I yeah. want my kids to encounter the poor, you know? So yeah. we do a lot of things like that. So, That's um, so Franciscan of you. <laughs> so incarnational, right? Um, so I, I would just say, like, you know, this is something you should pray about and talk about, and none of it has to be it. Well, it it should you should support the institutional church, but it doesn't have to be. I I fully understand the worry of your husband, so it doesn't have to be something that puts him in a bad position. So pray about the amount first, and then decide where you're comfortable giving it. Yeah, because a lot of people don't realize, like our evangelical brothers and sisters, when they have a church, all the money goes to that church. Right. I was just talking to a mutual friend of ours um, that we went to college with, and we were talking about marriage preparation. And he said, you know, at Second Baptist in Houston, they have, for all their marriage preparation courses, one-on-one -on -one, they have a suite of counselors that are all fully funded by the church. I go, whoa, 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 
whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Okay, number one, like 90-something percent of the churches in America are 200 people or smaller. Right. Okay, let's realize that. They do not have the resources to do that. I said, and Second Baptist is like the largest, like the third largest church in Houston. So they have resources, and there's no cathedraticum. There's no 10% of your money going to this and no capital campaign fund for the archdiocese. It all stays in residence. And they produce stuff like the the Baptist pastor. I'm sure he doesn't even take a salary. A lot of the big-name evangelical pastors don't because they sell books. Oh, Oh, yeah, because they sell sell books. They sell tapes. They sell uh, – they go to conferences. what do you mean? They sell sell them at – like like during their homilies, like I wrote a book no, no, about no, no. this. Oh. No, no, no. But they all have bookstores and gift shops. Yeah. But okay. they like I mean, think about like Andy Stanley. He's probably like a five time over New York Times bestselling author. He doesn't take a salary from his church. Rick Warren, um, his book uh, Purpose Driven Life, which had a movie about it starring real actors. Um, <laughs> it, it's and it's an insanely true story about a woman who was held hostage by a man escaping the cops and she just read him passages out of the book and he had a conversion in her kitchen while holding her hostage pretty this intense awesome. yeah but he um so he did a reverse tithe from day one he said 90 percent of my money goes back to um saddleback church 10 percent goes to me well then he made the book and it became a new york times bestseller and has been for like 90 weeks in a row and so he said, all right, I'm done being paid by the church. I'm just going to live off of this. And then he took 90% of the money. I mean, it's been translated into like 60 languages. Right. So he takes all that money that comes in. It goes to a foundation. He can't touch it because he knows he'll be corrupted by it. Okay. And uh, Francis Chan, Crazy Love, 100% of that money, it, sold, it made a million dollars in the first like three months of it being sold. He said, I know it's going to ruin me. And he used to pray that he would have a rich person at his church who would just, um, it's so funny. I didn't think we'd have enough time for the tithe topic or enough content, and that's the whole thing. But no, he said, uh, I wish I'd had a rich person at the church that was so on fire with the mission that they could just write huge checks to change people's lives. You know what I mean? And, uh, And then he became that person because it all went to a foundation, a trust that he could never spend on himself. But he could write checks for literally tens of thousands of dollars and, you know, fund an orphanage, do all that stuff. Um, yeah. And, and going to Dave's point about that contact with the poor, we fund an, orf- an orphanage in the Philippines that our friends fly to like maybe once every couple of years. And he's a part of the board. And they're incredible at what they do. The Lingap Foundation. They are incredible at the kind of ministry that they offer. And so we fund them. And so at our friend's birthday, we donated, um, our friend Brian Bork, we donate a bigger chunk of money. And the president of the orphanage called, made a personal phone call to my wife. My wife's like in tears. And he's like, thank you for this generous gift. You didn't need to give it. It's in Brian's name. Oh, this is so wonderful. And she's like, it was like a hundred bucks more. <laughs> but like, your money goes a long way. Uh, what was the line for St. Teresa of Avila? With God, I can conquer myself. With God and money, I can conquer the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I think, like, you know, this is – it's such an important topic because I, I think for a lot of people, like, you're experiencing blocks to grace in your life, and you don't yeah. realize that this is it. Like, being yep. miserly with God, and and it's the opposite of – 
of like a health and wealth gospel. We're not saying that at all, you know. Yeah. But we're, we're not saying, saying like, you're going to get rich off of giving money to no, God. But no, but he who sows sparingly will yeah. reap sparingly. He who yeah. sows generously will reap generously. So send Gomer and I one hundred dollars, and God <laughs> will send you a thousand dollars this week. No, but but honestly, I feel kind of the same way as Francis Chan. A lot of our tithing comes from the fact that I just I would be the world's I would be the worst person on earth if I were a millionaire. I would. I know I would. I'm just not. I'm that's not that's who I am. So, you know, I'd I'd have an even larger bunker and never come out of my house. So um <laughs> you would go full what's that guy? Hugh Howard Hughes. Yeah, hef, yeah, Howard Hughes, yeah, yeah, Howard Hughes. Guys, Freemasons uh, are taking over the world. Do the bunker, <laughs> do the bunker. All right, now we got I got six minutes left, Dave. What do we got next? Uh your uh your your question about youth ministry. Oh, uh, what do we do? What do yeah. we do with youth ministry in an age of quarantine? What are your thoughts? Yep. So, um, well, here's the issue. I think a lot of people are running into safe environment issues. My, if, if there were no safe environment issues, my thought is one-on-one, um, or, or one-on-two or something like that. Um, you know, Skype sessions, phone sessions, uh, just, uh, peer-to-peer ministry, you know, and, um, I think moving, moving in that direction is a good idea anyways, but I, I think it's, it's hard because like in your case, I mean, our youth minister could do it because there's 40 or 50 kids in youth yeah. ministry. Your your youth minister would have to call, what, 500 kids? Yeah, 700. Yeah, 700 kids. So 700. obviously it's different. But I, I think you move to uh, still personal but online. Yeah, we have a um, our confirmation program. Obviously, they didn't get confirmed, which was like beginning of April, right before Easter, I think, or maybe right after Easter. After Easter, it was the 18th. And... Uh, so they're not confirmed, but I found out that a, 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 the majority of our confirmation teachers are doing Zoom sessions, maybe not weekly, but every other week with the kids, just keeping in touch, you know, not necessarily going through curriculum, but just keeping in touch. Um, we have a household system for our upperclassmen, and, uh, you know, they're cool. they're going through all that with the online stuff um, and keeping up those relationships, which I think are, are, are clutch. But, you know, you, the freshmen, 320 freshmen, I think we have. Um, you know, yeah, right now, rough. no one's no one's reaching out to them because every you can't, you know, <laughs> like I mean, it's just right. so much. So we do things like Life Dean has the global life night that they're doing, which has okay. a, a parent guide, which I think is awesome that they thought of that. They wrote a guide for parents and then the video and then the, the lesson breakdown. And um, it's a good resource if you do it. But just a lot of parents are just, you know, there's content a time upon content. So we only had like. We had 11 parents doing it from top to bottom. We had 18 parents who just watched the video with their kids and didn't do the parent lesson. And then we had like 200 people reply like, no, we're not doing it. <laughs> so it's oh, like, okay. okay, I mean, this is just reality, like trying to use yeah. the great resources. But I think um, over the, the way I've kind of framed it, because now I'm doing youth ministry, I'm overseeing it, is first we have to come up with a plan for the summer, second with the fall, and third with the year. Like, and we have to have multiple flexible plans. So, like, if we usually do the kickoff the the week after Labor Day, then maybe our kickoff now is going to be mid-October. And we need to come up with a hardcore plan C of it starting in January, not in October. But if it starts in January, people are, aren't going to pay. Like, we have a sign-up registration cost. They're not going to pay the full price. And so, like, all these things, you got to think about all these different things and issues and blah, blah, blah. And it becomes just so overwhelming um, trying to get all these things going. So, my advice is very specifically 
to um, focus on the connections that you already have that are strong. Yeah. Um, uh, what's his name? Robert Putnam at Harvard came up with the book Bowling Alone, and he did this huge study on the relationships that form with the internet. And he said, if meet space groups, that's my term, if physical relationships exist and they go online, the online can strengthen them. If they never existed in the real world and they entirely exist online, they're too ephemeral. They won't have true staying power and there's right. exceptions to that but that's almost entirely the rule so if you already have existing relationships with a group a small group you know whatever a class double down on that you know do your safe environment policies maybe you have to have two adults on the zoom class or the go to meeting thing um, but yeah you have to have that yeah i and i think you know a big thing is um this is kind of a time of preparation you know so yep. if you're wondering what to do yep. with your 40 hours a week do your best at running your ministry online, but but yeah. you better be ready to run when this is over, and, you know. So. And start creating Instagram stories. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Go right. on YouTube, get the tutorials on Instagram. All the kids are on the gram and not on Facebook. Oh yeah. This Do has Instagram made me feel stories. so old. This has made yeah. me feel so, so old. But So no what way. you're saying is you feel on the inside the way you look on the outside? <laughs> Gomer, are have you ever seen me lately? All right. I'm down sixty one pounds. I'm okay. beasting out in the gym every day. All right. My hair is starting to turn brown again. The miracle. So you're of, like the miracle, miracle of the carnivore of meat, diet of meat. Um, yeah. Hey, so you're, uh, so what you're telling me is you're becoming Gimli son of glowing. That's what I imagine you <laughs> a younger, beefier, <laughs> what? A fat, thinner day. No way, yeah. dude. No way. Yeah, But you like, he's, he's built like a wall. No. No, man. No. <laughs> okay, what were you going to say? What were you going to say? No, I was going to say, um, speaking, you're going to be proud of me because I am going to do an online thing and I want to invite people. Um, nice. I'm going to do uh, the talk I do all over the country, the Catholic truth about angels, demons, ghosts, exorcisms, and hauntings. And um, yeah, I don't know how people, I guess I'll, I'll uh, advertise it on my website, thesinnersguide.com, and I'm going to do it for the first time online. And uh uh, I have 500 spots available, so um, that's awesome. Uh, take a look at thesinnersguide.com. I'll probably get that information up tonight or tomorrow night, but I'm going to do that soon. So Are, didn't you roll out the us. Catholic Truth about Angels, Demons, and Ghosts.com? Yeah, and it'll be on there too. But it's just I haven't uh, I haven't really advertised it yet. Either. Gotcha. But it's out. Okay. It's up there. The Catholic Truth about Angels and Demons.com is up and running, and I'm, awesome. I'm slowly booking with um, COVID nineteen addendums to my contract right now <laughs> that's awesome all right ladies and gentlemen since this show was very practical from beginning to end please uh so we're not going to roll it out to the five practical takeaways i gotta go because my daughter has a zoom class please uh support our good friends over at ascension they are doing some amazing stuff right now check out their website ascension presents on or the channel on youtube ascension presents so much good stuff my wife was in tears watching the mass with father um mike schmitz my buddy luke says i'm making him my unofficial internet spiritual director because <laughs> one of his homilies like ripped him to shreds so <laughs> there is a lot of good stuff that's coming out right now to our fine folks at ascension press be sure to like and subscribe to our show uh i feel like i'm a youtuber now be sure to subscribe write us a review on itunes or stitcher or Google Play, wherever you're listening to this, that helps other people learn more about this show. All righty. God bless you all. God bless.